0: I'm Danielle,
1: and I'm Christy, and you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Snacks with Dine, episode 31. We're officially really old now, which is lovely. Old. Super old. We're basically expired. Just throw us away. Just kidding. Don't do that. Sorry, we've been absent for a little bit. If you live in America, you know what's been going on. So there's no <laughs> reason to do if, if you don't live in America, you're probably like, I understand. So just handle yourselves, America.
1: Um, we need a minute, so much- okay? Yeah. We, we need a minute. Just give us, we're going to get it worked out. Just-
0: <laughs> well, you know, on this day of recording, don't care how you feel about politics, but two dogs moved into the White House today.
1: So First dog.
0: I am so excited. And one is a rescue dog, so that's even better because... Hopefully that tells people that, like, rescue dogs are the shit. And stop getting expensive dogs. Go rescue a dog because they're awesome. And I hear they're going to get a cat next so the cat people can be happy too. So, you know. Hooray! Well, there's been no pets in the White House. Yeah. It's been... It was the first time since the 1800s. Isn't that crazy? Yeah,
1: because the Obamas had... Dogs too. They had Mm -hmm. setters, right? Yeah, Yeah,
0: they had no, they had the water dogs. What are those, Portuguese? Oh, the right, the
1: Portuguese water Mm -hmm. dogs, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: okay. They had two of those. I think it was Bo and Sunny, I think. Mm
1: -hmm. And Mm
0: -hmm. the new ones are Champ and
1: Major. Champ and Major, okay. Mm -hmm.
0: It's important stuff, you guys.
1: You can count on us. We'll keep you up (laughs) up to date on the important things. That are happening right now. And right now, you need to know about Champ and Major. They are good, good boys. And the soon-to-be cat. The soon-to-be
0: cat. We're all waiting. We (laughs) will follow up. It's going to be a rescue cat. That much I know. That's cool. And yeah, pets in the White House. That's what matters to me today. And this episode matters to me.
1: Yay!
0: (laughs) And what else do we have to talk about Hockey's back, so that's pretty cool on my end of the world. Your kids had a birthday in a camper, which is... We
1: did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we did. My kids are two years and two days apart, exactly, um, because we can only conceive one night a year. And <laughs> I've just got to figure out what night that is. So, yeah, so they decided they're going to do their birthdays together because there's no party this wow. year, which is... A bummer because last year we had a big thing and maybe next year we'll get to have a big thing. But no party this year. Mm -hmm. We have a new camper. So they were like, hey, let's spend the night (laughs) in the new camper for our birthday. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, I live in Colorado at about 8,000 feet. And currently it's around 15 degrees outside at night. So the camper has has a, a heater, but it's a propane heater. And, it, and it's got, like, a thermostat, so it keeps, mm. like, kicking on and off throughout the night, and the thing, uh. every time it kicks on, like, I kind of forgot where I was for a second, and I thought maybe I was in a rocket ship, and, like, the <laughs> rocket ship was, t- so then I, fro- I, like, had a miniature panic attack, and they're, like, oh, wait, now I'm in the camper, but I'm not used to a camper. I mean, our, our family has tent camped for a long time, like, but I've never really slept in, like, a little camper like that, and I kept, going are we moving i feel like we're moving is it rolling and i know that it's not rolling i was there when we leveled it and like did all the things you're supposed to do to make sure it doesn't roll but like the whole time i'm going i feel like we're moving are that we maybe. rolling <laughs> we're rolling down the hill. so aside from mom being stressed out about shit that doesn't make any sense i <laughs> feel like it was a good camper birthday
0: it looked really fun and their cake was really cute so i think you won Good mom award because it looks super yes. fun.
1: So, yeah, yeah. The cake was cute, but not edible. I messed it up, but it's okay. It wasn't edible. No, it sucks. Cause I'm the cake Uh-oh. queen, and like usually I make these like great cakes, and I I don't know what happened on this one. It didn't rise. Uh-oh. I put chocolate chips in the batter that all floated to the bottom and like Uh-oh. made this layer of chocolate. So I have then like an inch and a half of cake with a chocolate <laughs> layer. And then I thought with the frosting, maybe I'll use like less powdered sugar and put like a little bit more Crisco in it because that's a Crisco based frosting. Mm -hmm. And I just ended up with like greasy frosting. So I had greasy frosting with like a chocolate. And God bless my kids. They tried to pretend to like it. But like (laughs) I took one bite of it and I was like, this is disgusting. And they were like, oh my God, yes, it is. It's like we threw it out. And tonight Yay. I made another cake because I felt bad because they got kind yeah. of screwed on their cake, and it is much better. <laughs> I call it the redemption cake, so, yeah. and I will be having a slice tea. of redemption cake uh, mm. while I listen to your story tonight. Yeah. As well as some some tea. So I have redemption cake oh. and tea, and a oh, ghost story I know nothing about. Ooh, know
0: nothing about. I never read this one. Well, next week, we're going into a, next time, whatever that is, we're going into a book neither of us have ever read, so that'll be fun. But for now, we have Say Cheese and Die, which was chosen by our wonderful patron, Johnny Dean, who I thank <laughs> so much, like so, 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 so much, because we being patient, because we have taken... Officially way too long to cover this. It was his choice. And I feel terrible that this has taken so long. So I really hope that you enjoy the episode. And thank you so much for being a patron. And thanks to Christy for finding me a copy. And I think this book and the cover are considered a classic. I'm not quite sure, but it's one that like I've seen on, you know, merch that came out in recent years, like from Cavity Colors and brands like that. So I want to say it's one of those ones that's popular and the cover is of a family of skeletons having a barbecue and it looks like the picture is taken from a Polaroid camera. And for the kids listening, Polaroids were types of cameras that took instant photos. Mm-hmm. So you had a camera, you took the picture and then it spit it out and you shook it and a picture would develop and they were super fun. And they didn't last very long, the pictures. No. But they were fun in the moment, and it and we even have Outcasts the band to thank for the famous line of "shake it like a Polaroid picture." Like so, a Polaroid
1: picture. Mm-hmm, That's also mm-hmm. what people used to use before phones uh, for dick pics. I'm pretty sure. Yes. You didn't want to yes. send your film in to get developed, <laughs> like your porn shots. So I think people like Polaroids were also fake. Like it, like if you had pol- like some Polaroid, that was a thing, right? I don't know. I'm yep. not old enough to know that. <laughs> but um, you're not admitting anything. But I'm not admitting anything. I'm just saying that I heard once <laughs> that people used to use <laughs> Polaroid cameras for porn. I heard I one time. <laughs> My sister's neighbor's brother's cousin, <laughs>
0: and they kind of became trendy again, kind of recently. And I know Polaroid came out with their own version, but they started in Japan again with this company called Instax. They, they it took over again on Instagram. Like people were using them in scrapbooks and like other kind of stuff. But they're like mini Polaroids, like baby ones, and they're pretty cute. Um, those were popular for a bit. They were you huge. Were the ones that
1: were like stickers.
0: Yes, I like, loved the Lady Spears
1: had an ad for them, I think, yes. and it was like her taking pictures of her feet and like you know, and it was like oh, a sticker. Yes.
0: I had two of those. They were the best and they were the shittiest looking pictures ever, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was like, look at this flower that looks like a blob. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, this one was published in 92, so it's on the older end of the spectrum, and it cost $3.99. And the tagline is one picture is worth a thousand screens. Mm. <laughs> Pitt's Landing is the pits. That was the <laughs> town slogan. At least it was to Greg and his friends. But in reality, Pitt's Landing was just like any other small suburban town. It was a crisp fall day. Greg and his friends, Michael, Sherry, and Bird, whose real name was Doug, were all sitting around in his driveway, bored out of their minds. They all tossed ideas around. Bird suggests a trip to Grover's comic shop. Michael suggests a baseball game. And Sherry mentions taking a long walk or a job. But somehow, talking about how bored they were was also very boring. The foursome walked along playing follow the leader and trying to knock each other off the curb they were using as a balance beam. They passed the school, the playground, and turned the corner. And they all stopped and looked up the long, sloping hill before them. Hidden behind the tall grass was a house that at one time was probably the most grand in all of the neighborhood. It was three stories with a wraparound porch and tall chimneys on each side. Everyone in Pitts Landing knew it as the Kaufman House, which was the name left behind on the dismantled mailbox, but it had been abandoned for as long as the kids could remember. The house had began to get a reputation as being haunted or that murders had happened there, but most likely none of them were true. Out of nowhere, Michael suggests that they go inside. Everyone looks at him like he's insane, but he reminds them that they were looking for adventure and some excitement, so why not? Greg was hesitant, but didn't have time to express his feelings before a dark shadow leapt out from the weeds and attacked. Greg fell backwards onto the grass and screamed, but it was just the cocker spaniel that Sherry had pet on their walk earlier. Greg shooed him away, but the Spaniel just gave a goofy look and tottered into the grass. Feeling pretty embarrassed and ready to get made fun of, he saw that everyone was staring intently at the Kaufman house. Bird and Sherry are officially on board with Michael's plan, but Greg, being the sensible one, tries to tell them that it's creepy and they really shouldn't do it. But his friends didn't seem to care, and before too long, Sherry discovered that one of the front windows was broken and they can reach inside for the doorknob. Greg tries one more plea and asks, what about Spidey? Spidey was a strange-looking man who resembled a large black spider, thus his nickname Spidey. He was likely the town's resident homeless man and was often seen hanging out at the Kaufman house. As Greg was speaking, Sherry was already reaching through the broken pane and without much struggle, turned the brass knob and the door began to open. And one by one, they stepped into the house. The only light was coming from the sun peering through the trees and the living room was threadbare. The floorboard squeaked and a dark, mysterious stain was in the center of the living room. Michael wondered out loud if it was blood. They explored the kitchen and roamed the halls but aren't finding much of anything except dust balls and a few rats. Greg is ready to leave, but Michael, Sherry, and Bird seem to be having some fun and find it exciting to be somewhere they shouldn't. Sherry and Greg run into Michael and he asks where Bird is. Sherry thinks he went to the basement and points to the door with the staircase. All three went at the top of the stairs and up from the depths was Bird's voice screaming, somebody help me. Hearing Bird's horrified cries, Greg races down the stairs at full speed to save his friend. Out of breath, his eyes search the haze and he finds Bird, sitting pretty on top of a metal trash can. He had gotten Greg again with another one of his dumbass jokes. Michael and Sherry race down the stairs, calling out to see what happened, but they figured it out pretty quick. Michael rolls his eyes and Sherry scolds him with the story of the boy who cried wolf and reminds him that someday he might really need help and nobody is going to care. Bird points out how much brighter it was in the basement thanks to the large windows taking in all the sunlight. They all look around and it appears that Spidey or someone was living down there. There was a makeshift table, a mattress with blankets, and piles of TV dinners. Sherry makes her way to a large oak wardrobe which is full of vintage 70s clothes. Bell bottoms, a cape, a fur coat, wild printed ties, and a purple fedora that she was particularly fond of. Yes, (laughs) put on all the
1: clothes. This is amazing. This is the best thing that's happened so far. Also, I wanted to interject that I feel somewhat slighted because our town had neither a old haunted house (laughs) or a resident homeless man yeah
0: i think we had some homeless people or maybe
1: i just didn't know about it i don't know in every story right there's like that old house on the something something like we never had the old house (laughs) we
0: had what we never really had like an well there was one that we all like figured was haunted, but like because it was so run down and it's it's a beautiful house. But it it always that it I always says the Adams family house so it looked looked a lot like it, like very old, like that style. And it was so run down, it wasn't painted, it was really ugly, and then now it's a daycare and it's like awful colors. And I'm like, what happened? So the oh, dreams no. were crushed. Yeah, it's really funny. Now it's a daycare. It is kept it in good condition, it looks like, but it's probably beautiful inside. So it's a bummer that it's a daycare. And then there was a house in the rich area of Hillsborough, which is Cole Mansion. And there used to be, apparently someone did die in there. And there was always this rumor that if, if you saw, there was always, they left the light on in one of the windows, like all the time where the person died. And if the light was ever out, like, they were like, you know, that was the ghost, like, essentially. Oh, so,
1: turn the light out. Yeah.
0: Because mm-hmm. no one's dad Her
1: husband came through and was like, why are yeah. these lights on?
0: <laughs> That's really all it
1: was. And everyone's like, oh, my God,
0: the light, the ghost light. Right? It's like Mater it's really in the nice. ghost light. <laughs> um, okay. But, yeah, and we had some homeless people. There's a few that are still around to this day. To this wow. day, from when I was kids. Yeah, from when I was kids. There's a couple, one guy in particular, and he's very, like, you know him right away. I don't know his name at all, but, like, when I was a small child, my mom worked at the bank, and she he would come in there when I was a small, small child. And he is still seen around town to this day, and I am very old. So, <laughs> like, yeah. He's what was still he around. in
1: the
0: bank store? I think he just came in there, you know, like, wandering so just in to hang I out. Know. yeah mm-hmm. yeah probably
1: gotcha. I was gonna say is he checking his 401k yes <laughs> maybe he has money and just likes to pretend he
0: doesn't who knows <laughs>
1: that would be the best, best undercover boss <laughs> right <laughs> I hate undercover um, boss me too <laughs> like I liked the first season and then by the time I was like they they 100% know like, they it's have figured the it out, and then, then it's, like, they're coming up with, like, the worst sob story that they can think of, because they know yeah. that, like, there's shit in it for them later, and then they act all yeah. surprised. <laughs> I hate undercover <it>, <laughs>
0: I know. It was a good concept at first, but then it's, like, okay, stop. Like, we're done now. We can only done. do it.
1: Or, like, some shitty yeah. wig that's, like, what are you doing? <laughs> or, like, it shows them in their motel, like, putting their wig on by themselves, and I'm, like, that's not a good idea. Yeah,
0: (laughs) All right. They're trying on clothes. They have a purple hat. Pretty cool. And Greg, poor Greg, keeps trying to warn them that someone might want those and could be coming back for them, but it all falls on deaf ears. He leaves them to their game of dress up and explores the other side of the basement, which is mostly full of paint cans, dusty rags, and tools. It appeared as though whoever lived here before was really handy, and he finds a work table. A vice was gripped to the top, and Greg turned the handle, expecting for it to pop off. But to his surprise, a door above the work table opened, and inside, resting on a small shelf, was a camera. Ooh, mysterious. (laughs) He just stared at the camera for what felt like a long time and something inside of him was telling him not to touch it and walk away. But of course, he couldn't resist. He picked it up from the shelf and the little door slammed shut with a bang. Greg had so many questions. Why would someone hide a camera? And if it was so important to them, why didn't they take it when they moved? It was surprisingly heavy and had a long lens. He guessed it might be a telephoto. Greg was passionate about photography and loved to look at camera catalogs and dream about having the money to buy a fancy kit. His goal in life was to be a photographer and travel the world. He wondered if this camera was any good and searched the basement for a test subject. His eye came to a stop on Michael, who was dressed up in two yellow feather boas and a Stetson hat, and he was climbing the basement steps and struck a goofy pose. Greg called Mm -hmm. out for him to hold it and got the camera in place, put his finger on the shutter button, and told Michael to stay cheese. Michael leaned against the railing, and the camera clicked and flashed. Then it started to make a loud whirring noise. Turns out it was one of those cameras that develops and silly. Greg tells the group that the picture is starting to develop, and Michael leans against the railing again for a closer look. But a loud crunching sound startled them all. They all look up, and Michael is falling off the ledge of the steps. He hits the concrete hard and screams in pain. His ankle might be broken. Greg, Bird, and Sherry all rush over to him and tell him if they'll go and get help. But the sound of footsteps distracts them. Someone else was in the house. The footsteps were going louder, and all four exchanged frightened glances. They had to get out, but Michael was in no shape to make a break for it, and the stairs leading out were occupied by whomever was about to find them. Lifting Michael to his feet, using Bird and Sherry for balance, Greg tells them to head to the other stairs he found at the back of the basement. He doesn't know where they lead, but it was worth a try. The floor above them was creaking louder and louder under the weight of the footsteps. They reach the door that leads to what they hope is the outside, but of course it's not budging. Someone shouts, who's down there? it had to be Spidey. Greg sets the camera down and uses all his strength to push the door, but it doesn't move. They were officially trapped. Greg keeps pushing, but it's no use, and Spidey was getting closer. Bird comes to his aid, and with the force of the two, the doors finally swing open. Greg led the way, but made sure to grab the camera off the ground. The backyard was full of overgrown weeds, but Bird and Sherry somehow managed to drag Michael up the steps and onto the grass. They all suggest he try putting some weight on his ankle because they need to go, and fast. He tests it out, and it's feeling well enough for him to hobble behind the group and away from the house. Once they are far enough away, Sherry turns back and sees a dark figure staring at them from one of the windows. Spidey. They ran until they got to Michael's house and Greg tells them that they need to never go back to the Kaufman house again. Spidey knows who they are now but Sherry is not as nervous. She thinks he's harmless and he just wants to be left alone. They probably thought they were going through his stuff or something. Michael's ankle didn't appear to be broken and his mind wandered to the now infamous picture Greg took. He asked to see it and Greg pulls the Polaroid from his pocket but something was very wrong with this picture. Somehow, the camera had caught Michael falling from the railing in midair, even though Greg could swear he had taken the picture before Michael fell. And Michael was just as confused. He was posing for the camera, not falling. But Burr just thinks they're all remembered wrong and compliments Greg for stealing the camera, which makes him blush. He realizes the time and tells him it's getting late and he has to go home. He promised his mom he'd vacuum before dinner, and now he was going to be too late. As he rounds the corner to his house, he sees a strange car in the driveway. Then he remembers. Dad picked up the new car. It was a beautiful navy blue station wagon. Ooh. Ooh. Did it <laughs> have wood walls? They did not say it had wood walls. It was all navy blue.
1: I'm just saying, station wagons are where it's at.
0: <laughs> Taking in the new car smell, Greg wants to get a picture. So he sets up his shot and fires away. And just like before, a picture pops out and begins to develop. He runs into the house and calls to his mom to let her know he's home, but races upstairs to hide the camera in the cubby in his headboard. He didn't want to explain to his parents where he got it. His mom calls up to him and asks he's coming down for dinner and if he saw the new car. He answers yes to both and makes himself presentable before heading down. But first, he wants to check out the picture he took. Grabbing the Polaroid from where he tossed it on, the, on his bed, he gasped, bringing the photo up close to his face. He can't believe what he sees. It was the navy blue station wagon, but it looked like it had been in a terrible accident. All that was left was mostly twisted metal and a cracked windshield. He couldn't believe it or shake the terrible sight from his mind. His mom called to him again, telling him to hurry up, and dinner was getting cold. He leaves the Polaroid in his room and tries to play it cool when he gets downstairs. He tells his dad how great the car is, and his dad tells him that after dinner, they're all going for a drive.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not going on that drive, Dad. <laughs> I, um, I have to... Taxes. I have to do the taxes. <laughs> Sorry. So the family is making small talk over
0: dinner, but Greg can't get the wrecked car out of his mind, and he is filled with an overwhelming sense of doom. There is no way he can go for a drive. As his brother tells them about his day at the dairy freeze, Greg chimes in and tells his dad he can't go. Of course, he asks why, and Greg has to think fast. First, tells him he has hands with Michael. That didn't work. Next, he tried the, oh, I'm not feeling well. But that just sent mom into a tizzy of asking about symptoms and if he needs to go to the doctor. His dad wasn't taking no for an answer and reminded Greg that he was the one who was the most excited about the car and a nice drive will do him good. They were going and his dad doesn't understand what his problem is. And to be honest, Greg didn't either. It was just a photograph, but he couldn't shake the feeling of dread that had already ruined his appetite. The Banks family was out on the open road. Dad loved how the new car drove, and Mrs. Banks was thrilled that they finally had cupholders. Woo Can You lead not hey, having
1: a cup holder in a car. Like wow. Well, so I, I was just thinking about like the things that like kind of wow you when you like get a new car <laughs> that has something that hasn't had it before. Yeah growing up it seemed like your family was kind of in one of two uh places with cars you either were that mm-hmm. family that got like a new car every year yeah right? always trading in or in my family you drove it till it absolutely died and like <laughs> would not be resurrected if that meant 10 15 years so be it as long as it <laughs> drives we're gonna drive it so a lot of time when we got a new car it was stuff like that it was like this 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 fold down mirror has a light on it or like (laughs) we had crank handle windows for such a long time that like when we finally yeah like everybody had automatic windows before us so if anybody came up to the window i always went Ah, uh, they like crank it down, <laughs> and then they'd be like, "What are we doing?" And I'm like, "There's a crank here that I have to turn to make the window come down." <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to do manual labor, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but I remember, I remember when we got our 1998 Champagne Dodge Caravan; it's very fancy, uh, and, and like the little flip down mirror had a light on it, and I was like, oh, so
0: that's a big deal.
1: That's like big deal. when
0: we like when before my boyfriend got his new truck last year, he had an older truck that you know was just a workhorse. Like he used it for work, and he pushed it to the limit, and you know it was it was the end. You know, work but truck. yeah, <laughs> so it, right. So it had crank windows, and you know it was old, and you know whatever. So whenever we went to Disneyland and stuff, we'd rent a car. And it was like driving a spaceship because it's like there's USBs in here. <laughs> like, <there's, laughs> no. like, my phone. Yes. Works. <laughs> like, yes. So fancy. So sad. And then when he got in the car, we were like, "Oh my god, the, air, the new car!" We were like, "Oh my god, the air conditioning works. Yeah. Because <laughs> so like the last yeah. year of the old truck, the air conditioning went out, and you forget how important like air conditioning is. Yeah. And- <laughs> Especially in hot California
1: weather. So it was like the air worked. Wow. It just feels so fancy. It's like, oh gosh, I'm chilly. Yeah. Are you chilly? No, I'm fine. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to put it on Arctic blast just to do it. <laughs> you break out your grape pecan and some crackers. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I could see
0: you being excited about cup holders. I love a conveniently placed cup holder. You know, Indeed. they come in handy. Yeah. They really do. But they need to invent, like, something for, like, food. I don't know. <laughs> like, to make food slots. Because there's no oh. really good way to, like, in the car.
1: Yeah, so. no, that's true. Yeah. I Because I just, I actually, a couple of days ago, I got a new car. And this one is. You did? Um, yeah I needed something bigger to pull my camper um (laughs) and uh this one is a third row and there are buttons that like put the third row up and down like I almost lost my shit I like I opened it back and I was looking for the latch to like Mm -hmm. you know fold them down and then I was like there's no latch and I I called my husband I was like there's no latch he's like there's a button (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> those I don't, don't even know. Know. I
0: don't know when those when they fold in by themselves. Like we, I almost lost a hand. Like on those seats that like fold into themselves. Oh like, yeah. Children not killed in these things every year. Like
1: you would think. It would yeah, be. you would think. Yeah, <laughs> you would think so. I don't know. <laughs> They've already been in it and, like, tested all the things, like, because it reclines that way, too. So then they just, they sit in the third row like I'm the goddamn chauffeur. And then they, like, power recline their seats back. (laughs) They have a little bell. Hello. Yeah. It's like, are you guys comfortable back there? Because you don't have to sleep sit all the way back there. And they're like, no, we're good. We're great. This is it. This is the row for us. Awesome. Thanks. Farthest away from me as possible. Doesn't give me issues. It's fine. Just put the dogs in the middle. I'll be there. You friend. go.
0: So they're on the road. The new car is great. And Terry is teasing his dad to put the pedal to the metal. And. He starts- <laughs> They literally, literally put that in the book. And he, starts, wagon. he starts to speed up a little. First 65, then 70, then 75. And Mrs. Banks keeps insisting he slow down. But Mr. Banks is having too much fun. They take an off-ramp onto a four-lane road. And he starts looking for the switch to turn on the headlights. Greg is been silent the whole ride just anxious and trying to wipe the wrecked car images from his mind that keep haunting him. Mr. Banks is still searching for the light switch when Greg shouts, look out for that truck. Horns blare and a blast of wind swept past them that made the car feel like it had swerved into another lane. The truck rolled past and Mr. Banks slows down to 65, 60, then 50, and sheepishly apologizes to everyone. Mrs. Banks is furious and screaming that they could have all been killed and what the hell was he thinking? There's children in the car. She's just, she's furious.
1: You're not a teenager anymore, John. Our kids are in the car. (laughs) Our lives are at stake.
0: So she checks on Terry and Greg in the backseat, who are shaken up but otherwise fine. Greg asks if they can go home, and Mr. Banks is disappointed because he was hoping they could take a drive to the next town for ice cream or something fun. But he ruined that, didn't he? (laughs) Once they were safely back at home, Greg takes out the Polaroid he took earlier and studies it. Everything just seems weird. Was the camera just broken? He decides to try it one more time on himself but realizes that it won't work because the mirror will just capture the flash. So he heads to Terry's room. Terry was typing away at his computer when Greg came in and asked if he could take his picture. He comments on the cool camera and asks where he got it. Greg tells him that he's borrowing it from Sherry. Terry jokes that if he takes his picture, he'll break the camera. But Greg says he thinks it's broken anyway and just wants to test it out. The shutter clicks, and another photo slips out into Greg's hand, and he takes off for his room before letting Terry see the photo. It begins to develop, and once again, something is wrong. In the picture, it looks like Terry is outside. There are trees behind him and an old house. The house that is directly across for the street from the neighborhood playground. Terry has a terribly frightened expression on his face. Greg is confused but can only assume that the camera is just fucked up and can't think about it anymore. So he tucks it away in the cubby and tries to get some sleep. It was the next day, and Greg had taken himself and the camera to the baseball field to meet Sherry to watch Bird's baseball game. He was on the Pitts landing Dolphins, which Greg always thought was a bizarre team name. (laughs) Sherry was excited to see... Well, they don't live by the water and baseball. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, what else are you going to be? It's landing. I keep thinking of Schitt's Creek. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I didn't really explain
0: why he didn't like it, but he's like, I guess basically because dolphins aren't really like, you know, but there's so many, there's so many sports teams that are dolphins. So it's not that weird to me, but they made a point of him talking about how he doesn't like the name. So, (laughs)
1: There's a lot yes. of weird mascots that don't make sense to me. Like what is the one? Like there's some college mascots that I'm like, what the fuck is that?
0: There's an there's the fighting artichokes out there.
1: What? No, there isn't. Yes, there is. Who are who are the
0: fighting artichokes? I'm looking it up right now. They're from they're from a community college in Scottsdale. Arizona.
1: <laughs> <for the> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. So there you go. Well, don't I guess there are a lot of dolphin the There are a lot of dolphin teams.
1: They're just not very like fierce. Like you don't think of them as like the yeah. fighting dolphins, or like. I mean, what was the movie where like the dolphins get a laser? So then now it's like laser dolphins. Oh, no, what is Or something. Something. I don't yeah. know. I was trying, to, trying to find a way to, like, badass him up.
0: I, I sent you know. a picture of the artichoke so you can see it.
1: <laughs> Did you send it out a messenger? My child has my yeah. phone. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Okay. Let me see. When you get it back. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> I love him. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: the artichokes are approved. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, and then California, yeah. has banana, we have the banana slugs in Santa Cruz, so. Yeah. But Jerry was excited to see that Greg had brought the camera, but he tells her that he's pretty sure it's broken. But she still wanted him to try and get a picture of Bird when he was at bat. She swears he looks just like an ostrich. Bird comes over to them, and he looks ridiculous. His pants are too short, his shirt is too big, and the only thing that fits him is his baseball cap. He spots the camera and grabs it away from Sherry and her scooping around with it, pretending to take pictures. Greg tries to grab it back, but Bird is keeping it just out of reach. He thinks Greg should share since they all risk their lives together in the basement. The coach calls for Bird and he passes the camera back to Sherry. And before he can take off, he strikes a pose and Sherry takes the photo this time. The photo spits out and Sherry holds in her hand. Soon, they were looking at Bird unconscious, laying on his back, with his neck bent at a
1: horrifying angle. Oh god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those baseball uniforms never fit the way they're supposed
0: to. <laughs> no. And this they describe Bird obviously like a bird. Like he's very tall and like lanky, so nothing like fits him right.
1: Oh yeah, I hear that. My my eleven year old is almost as tall as me now. That's crazy. Jesus. Nothing is gonna fit him. <laughs> Ever, ever, like for the rest of us, like I'm pretty sure. Like we just need to have a talk about. Listen, dude, you're gonna just look funny for a while. (laughs) You're 11 years old and you're five foot ten. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. You're just gonna look funny.
0: (laughs) I want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I'm really sorry. You're just gonna look funny.
1: It's like, listen, you're real good looking, so it's going to work out for you in the end, but it's going to be rough for a while. It's cool. Hang in there. Hang in there. (laughs) Bird
0: grabs the picture out of Sherry's hand and figured it has to be out of focus. Like, what are they even looking at? Greg is just shaking his head over and over again in a panic. Then the dolphin's coach yelled for Bird to get to the dugout and he gave the picture back to Sherry and left to join his teammates. Sherry asked Greg, how could something like this happen? It really looked like Bird was lying on the ground, completely knocked out, but he was just standing in front of them. And obviously Greg had no idea. He's just as confused as the rest of them. Sherry took the camera from him to examine it, rolling it over in her hands, looking for any kind of film or a picture counter, but there's nothing there. The baseball game had gotten underway, and they were facing the opposing team, the Cardinals, who were taking their positions on the field. Sherry was growing impatient, turning the camera over and over and over, looking for a put film in or for a brand name, but there was nothing to be found. She shoved it back at Greg in total frustration. In the background, the Dolphins were up to bat, and they could hear some distant crowd noise as they keep trying to pry the camera open. Sherry even tries to pry off the lens, but nothing is working. Greg starts bringing the camera to his face for a closer look, but what he sees on the field in front of him takes both of their attentions. It was Bird laying on the ground with his neck bent and his eyes shut tight. Greg and Cherry let out a gasp and run across the field to their friend. They kneel down and touch his shoulders, hoping he'll wake up. Then he opens one eye and starts to smile. Gotcha. Understandably furious, they yank him to his feet and are ready to start beating the shit out of him. But he said he only played the joke so they could stop thinking something was wrong with the camera. It's just broken, and they're being ridiculous that it predicted Michael's fall in the basement. Before they could say anything, one of Bird's teammates yells for him to get to his position, and he has to race off. The game was not going in favor of the Dolphins. And Sherry and Greg were ready to leave. They had homework to do, and it was really hot in the bleachers. But Greg wanted to stay just to see Bird at bat and boo really loud. The Cardinals were back up to bat, and just as they turn to leave, they hear the next hitter's ball hit off the bat with a loud thunk. It was a sharp line drive, and Greg watches in horror as the ball hits Bird in the head with another loud Bird's eyes went wide, and he starts to sway. Then he lets out a loud cry and falls to his knees, then onto his back. Neck bent unnaturally, and his eyes closed. He was no longer moving.
1: Is he dead?
0: Maybe. We don't know.
1: (laughs) When you say neck bent at an unnatural angle, like, I think, like... that's how they describe it. That's how they say it. I think broken neck. Like, I think, like, death becomes her... Like in the doctor's office, and he's like, Okay, that's, um, okay. that's a dislocated neck. That's a problem.
0: That's but, like not work just work. like crooked. No, but yeah, they're saying it's bent unnaturally. So I don't, yeah. I think broken neck too.
1: So what, my head doesn't naturally go to the side? <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> no.
1: Okay.
0: The coaches run over to the fallen bird and form a tight circle around him. Sherry shouted and raced off the bleachers toward her friend. Greg starts to follow but in the corner of his eye he spots his brother Terry. What was he doing here? He should be at work. Terry caught up to Greg completely out of breath with a horrified expression on his face just like the photo Greg took last night. Even the house in the background was right where it should be. Greg asked his brother what was wrong, and he could barely get the words out. It was their dad. He had been in a terrible accident, and the car was total. They need to go home now. Greg was in shock. He grips the camera strap tightly and starts leaving the field with his brother, but looks back to see what's happening with Bird. At the same time, he notices a figure, all in black, staring at them from behind the bleachers. Who was that? Terry yells for him to hurry up. At the hospital, Greg felt like all he could see was colors. Everything was a blur and the loud sounds of his sneakers on the tile floor were all he could hear. They turned the corner and went toward their father's room. Seeing him in the hospital bed, a bandage around his head, arm in a cast and an IV in his other arm made everything come into focus. Mrs. Banks greets them and they could tell she had been crying but was trying to hold back her tears for the boys. Mr. Banks says a shaky hello from his bed and tells them that he feels okay and that he is very, very lucky. He had broken his arm, a few ribs, and had a mild concussion. Greg wanted to tell them about the photo of the total car but he didn't think anyone would believe him. But he just felt like he had to say something. He starts to speak his words coming out like rapid fire. I took a photo of the car. But Mrs. Banks speaks over him and tells them the car is totaled. She was so grateful that the boys aren't able to see the wreckage. Terry asks if I'll be able to get a new car and they go back and forth about having to deal with the insurance and his mom's been taking care of that because Mr. Banks just needs to rest. Greg tries to bring out the photo again, but Mrs. Banks shuts him down. Mr. Bank turned to feel sleepy from the pain medication and the family says their goodbyes for the night. One side of the room, Terry asks his mom what happened and she tells them that someone ran straight through a red light and into the driver's side of the car. They claim their brakes went out. Greg just keeps thinking about the photo and about the camera and everything that happened since he started taking pictures. Was the camera predicting the future or was it causing these bad things to happen?
1: I was just going to ask you that. Do you think this is a predictive situation or a cursed camera situation? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, because you already know. Fine. <laughs> I am it's going to say it it okay. it's a predictive situation. Of The future.
0: Something it, like
1: that. No. Yeah. I keep thinking back. To... there was a an episode of unsolved mysteries one time that they did and i don't think it was like the camera specifically it was like locations like mm. these people were taking these polaroids on these haunted locations and um there would be like text that would appear in these like kind of white to wispy smoky letters Oh. Um, sometimes in front of whoever that they were taking the picture of and I, w- I haven't seen it since i was young so i don't remember specifically like what the text said or if they would maybe answer oh they would ask it questions so like they would go uh. into a space and then they would take the polaroid and ask a question and then like it would be a simple answer i think on the polaroid because they couldn't quite figure out i guess they in the end they decided it could have could have been done with like cotton on like a frame on like a glass frame and you could double expose the film and then reload it through and then just know what questions to ask and click the picture and then it was there i don't know
0: that sounds cool i've taken i've taken to calling well to the new unsolved mystery started on netflix I've taken it to calling it Solve Mysteries because some of them are so freaking obvious and I get so mad watching it. I'm like, clearly this douchebag did it. Clearly. And you're like, we don't know who did it. It's the biggest one. The one's movie. on
1: Netflix? It's- yeah. They That's the guy that carries around guys. his dead wife's ashes and like sleeps with yes. them. Mm-hmm. It was totally him. I tried to say they that in one of the good groups. Good. and And one of the girls, I got attacked actually. In one of my you true crime it? podcast groups, yes, I was oh. in. Uh, I was in one of the true crime podcasts that I listened to. I was in the group, and That's I was like, "Guys, he totally did it! Like, <laughs> I, I, the zero doubt. This Everyone dude did that. killed her." And I got attacked. They're like, "Well, you don't know, blah blah blah. People have grief in different <laughs> ways." I'm like, "No, no, grief's cool. Murder's not. This guy <laughs> murdered her. Sorry." I felt- Even if we took away, let's, okay, let's factor in
0: grief, right? Fine. But just how he treated the son is a sign. Oh my God. He was yes. trying to get rid of the evidence and get rid of a loose end. He was like, oh, I hate the son. Bye. Like, I'm like, that was
1: enough for me. Take grief out of it. Fine. Well, he I think he was probably effort. mad that he couldn't have taken the son too, because he wanted to yeah. possess her. He wanted every mm-hmm. single bit of her essence Mm -hmm. and the son was like a walking living reminder like and Mm -hmm. i mean you got to be real when you get to be a parent if it comes between your partner and your kids your kids are gonna win every time sorry just the way it is like that's the way you're programmed that's the way you should be programmed you should love your children more than your romantic partner period and i think that he knew that i think that he knew he would never never get the kind of love for her that she had for her son. And I think that's why he hated him.
0: I'm very sorry for this tangent, but I just like to call it
1: solved mysteries because I was so angry. Well, I'm just glad I'm not alone. Cause after I got attacked, I was like, maybe I won't say that anymore. No,
0: everyone I know that watched it, that I personally know that watched it was like, Oh fuck. No, he did it. Or he had, if he didn't do it. He had someone do it. He hired someone to do it. No doubt in my mind. No yep. doubt.
1: And no, I don't think, I think he would hire someone. I think I think he needed to do it.
0: I don't mm-hmm. think he would
1: let someone else have that piece of hurt either.
0: Yeah, but it was just yeah. And the, there was a few other ones. I was like, this seems obvious too. Like, you know, I just wasn't happy with it. I was like, meh. Nah. didn't love it.
1: Well, ever. I think it's hard. It's hard to kind of re redo something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that if if it's something that was good that people loved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta choose you either have to do it in a new way Mm -hmm. that is its own new thing or Mm -hmm. you have to really do better than you did the first time Mm -hmm. and if you aren't able to do either one of those it's not gonna work
0: yeah and i think they suffered from that
1: yeah i agree
0: but anywho Back to this camera, not the
1: Unsolved unsolved Mysteries camera.
0: No, this one. So time had passed since Bird had his accident and their dad had his accident. And luckily, Bird was perfectly fine. He didn't even have a concussion. It was the weekend and Sherry was on the phone with Greg demanding that he bring the camera to her birthday party next week. And she would not take no for an answer. Greg hadn't looked at or touched the thing since his dad's accident and he really didn't want to bring it to the park. He tried everything he could to get Sherry to listen, even telling her about this dream he had where he took a photo of his family at a barbecue. And when it developed, they were all skeletons. <laughs> but she did not care and dealt a low blow and said the camera really belonged to all four of them they were all at the house together so he better bring it
1: bitch you um, didn't steal the camera i know i know they're all, all of a sudden, ride. it's a community camera mm-hmm. of which you yeah. took no risk in obtaining okay yeah. that's bird, right. said, bird said the same thing oh we all
0: belong to the camera i'm like no no you were guys no, really.
1: yeah you guys were messing around this dude like successfully got it out of the house
0: Mhm. But they're all entitled buttheads. So it's the day of the party. Greg gathers the camera, and of course he knows he shouldn't be doing it, but he felt like he had no choice. Everyone was gathered in Sherry's backyard. Bird was there, up to his old tricks, and Michael had decided to show up in a hideous Hawaiian shirt that was the talk of the party. Sherry spots them and immediately asks Greg if he brought the camera. Once again, he tries to tell her he doesn't want to take any pictures with it, but she keeps insisting. Dressed in a yellow flowing top, black spandex leggings, and a brand new silver charm bracelet, she tells Greg to take her picture first. So she leans against a nearby tree and starts to pose. Reluctantly, Greg takes the shot, but when it develops, Sherry is not in the picture. She accuses Greg of doing it on purpose, so they try again, but it's the same result. Sherry is not there. The other party goers seem to be getting restless, and one of the girls suggests a game of truth or dare. Greg would rather die, but he has to go along as they head into the woods for more privacy. What? I am picturing that I'm picturing that their house, like their backyard, is adjacent to some woods. I am picturing it because they don't leave their house; they stay in the backyard, just go off into the woods. So,
1: well, that happens sometimes.
0: Yeah,
1: where you live. Yeah, sometimes there are yeah. woods.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're going into the woods for privacy, as teenagers do, or whatever. Oh, the old They're.
1: <laughs> No one ever picks dare. Stop playing truth or dare <laughs> No one
0: ever picks
1: it. No one ever picks dare.
0: yeah, it's always true. There's always one kid who picked dare though like the one goofy kid, and then everyone else yeah, even good Pick. and they're like,
1: okay, yeah. go um yeah.
0: <laughs> go steal a soda like something stupid sure yeah.
1: stupid, stop. <laughs>
0: But the game is off to a riotous start. And just as it was about to be Greg's turn, Sherry's mom calls out to them that it's time for cake. So they all head back to the patio, and Sherry's mom is looking high and low for her daughter. But she was nowhere to be found. Michael and Bird go back to search the woods, but Sherry had literally vanished. Greg sat against the tree trunk in the backyard the camera at his feet. All over the yard, policemen in dark uniforms were searching the house, the yard, and the woods looking for Sherry, but there was no sign of her. Her parents were huddled together at the corner of the patio, holding hands and looking pained. They asked the officers if they thought someone had taken her, but they told them there was no sign of a struggle and really no sign of anything at all. An officer approached Greg and asked why he didn't go home with the other kids. He tells him that Sherry was a really good friend and he just lived next door. The officer tells him that he should go home, but remarks that he looks very troubled and if there was anything else he'd like to tell him that he may have forgotten when they did their interview before. Greg wants to tell him about the camera. The camera is the reason Sherry is gone, and he knows it. But how is this officer going to believe some kid's story about a messed up camera? The officer prods at Greg again, telling him he looks so troubled and why doesn't he talk to him about it? Tell him what's going on and he'll probably feel better. Greg couldn't hold back anymore and the tears started to come and he holds the camera straight out toward the officer who doesn't make any move to take it from him. He tells him that Sherry was invisible in the picture and is now invisible in real life. The camera makes bad things happen. The officer stops Greg from going any further and tells him that he's just very upset and had been through a traumatic experience. It was time to go home. He felt so stupid. Now this cop thinks he's a total nutcase. So the officer suggests another officer walk him home. But Greg insists that he's okay and will make it home just fine. Once there, he calls out for anyone, but the house was empty, and he really didn't want to be alone right now, heading to his room thinking that maybe he'll just get some sleep. But as soon as he opens the door, he lets out a scream of horror. Someone or something had destroyed his room. His drawers were tossed, books were all over the floor, and the closet was pawed through. Greg asked himself over and over who could do this and why would they do this. Then it dawned on him, whoever it was had to be looking for the camera, which means it had to be Spidey. He was looking for the camera and somehow knew where Greg lived. That was the most unsettling part. Trying to take his mind off of the chaos in his room, he knows what he has to do. If my if my friend disappeared out of nowhere, I would be more traumatized than that. Not just like, oh, I'm sad, and be like, they disappeared.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that, like, and the cops being like, well, there's no sign of his struggle. It's like, bitch, you, there's she's a kid. <laughs> there's like, no oh. struggle. When people take kids, they just pick them up. Yep. <laughs> and leave like there's usually probably not a struggle so i don't know that i would be comforted by that but yeah also don't you think his parents would have been somewhere around if a neighbor kid goes missing like well i guess this is before amber alert i was gonna say my phone goes off
0: no this is way before so there's about like they say in the book it it was too long they say in the book that like obviously the parent his parents aren't gonna know what happened to sherry now for however long until they get home and word travels, you know, so.
1: Well, and to be totally honest, you know, like, know, I'm surprised that. they didn't put this shit together sooner about, like, this camera is bad. Just yeah. go give it back. You could even mm-hmm. leave it on the porch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he grabs the phone and calls Bird right away, who asks if they found Sherry. But of course, Greg had no idea. He tells Bird to call Michael and to meet him at the baseball diamond right away. It was Hang important.
1: On. My, my child just tried to give me a heart attack. Sorry. Please make noise. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to make noise. <laughs> you scared the bejesus out of me. What do you want? It's not that funny. Then <laughs> why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. You're you laughing. Laugh. Oh, yeah. What do you call that? Okay, what is it that you need? I
0: need
1: a hug. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come on now. okay ah. I love you. I Go love away. You let's not do that again okay Okay. i'm sorry continue i looked up and there was a tiny face there where there had not been one before that was funny oh man Uh,
0: where was i okay
1: i should my pants Um, but it was funny
0: (laughs) we're keeping that one in (laughs) keeping that one in Mm -hmm. I needed a hug. That was it. And then go away. I love you. Go away.
1: <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like, Natalie likes people in <laughs> contact and affection. And this Aww. COVID real, real rough for her. So she's good Aww. about being like, excuse me. I need a hug.
0: <laughs> at least, you know, she's expressing her feelings. <laughs> he tells Michael and Burr they had to meet him at the baseball diamond. And it was important. He furiously cleans his room before taking off for the field. And that's when it dawns on him that his parents don't yet know about Sherry. And he notices that all the officers had left their yard, but the birthday cake and party decor were still there. It looked like a party for ghosts. At the baseball diamond, Greg tells Michael and Bird that they have to come with him. They have to go back to the Kaufman house. And Greg has to put the camera back where he found it. He can't have it anymore. Bird and Michael are not on board. They tell Greg, just throw it in the trash or leave it right here. Greg is furious. Don't they understand? Spidey came into his room and knows where he lives and will just come back for the camera. It has to go back to the Kaufman house. Bird grabs for it and yanks it away from Greg. He was going to solve the problem right now. But in the scuffle, Bird hit the shutter button. The camera flashed and he had taken a picture of Greg. Burger tries to apologize, but a tough voice from behind interrupts them. It belonged to Joey Frazier, who was accompanied by his partner in crime, Mickey Harris. These two were the local bullies. Not very good in school, taller and bigger than the other kids, and always wearing heavy metal shirts. And had their sights set on Greg's camera. Joey snatches it from Greg and starts to mess around with it. Greg is trying to keep his voice from going into a whine as he tells them he needs it back. It doesn't belong to him, but Joey and Mickey were too busy trying to take snapshots of each other. Bird and Michael aren't much help, but they figure, why not let them take it? Greg wanted it gone, but he couldn't let it go. He had to get it back and return it from where it came from and make sure Joey and Mickey didn't find out the evil of the camera. With a yell, he jumps in front of Mickey and snatches the camera from his face and takes off running down the field. Bird and Michael are close behind and only look back once just to see Mickey and Joey laughing at them from the bleachers. Greg wants to take the camera back tonight, but Michael and Bird just dodge and deflect and head home. Not until he got to his own front yard did he remember the snapshot that Bird took was still in his back pocket. He held the photo up to his face and shouts, oh no. It was not possible. Somehow, Sherry had gotten into the photo. She was right next to Greg, clear as day. Both of them had expressions of sheer terror on their faces, staring straight ahead at someone or something. In desperation, Greg was calling out for Sherry. Are you here? Can you hear me? Where are you? He was so distracted, he barely noticed his mom's voice in the distance. She was calling to him and was worried sick because she had heard the news about Sherry. He apologizes to her and goes to the house, feeling awful. Two days passed and it was time for Greg's dad to finally come home from the hospital. Greg was happy, but distracted. He was just thinking of Sherry and the camera. The it's not
1: too days Sherry's dead.
0: I know. He's, she's dead. Watch some true crime. She's dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sherry's dead.
0: Watch Investigation Discovery. She's dead. <laughs> the cop's latest theory is that she was kidnapped. But of course, Greg knew she wasn't. Greg knew the truth, and it was a truth no one would believe. The camera had stayed in the compartment above his bed all this time, along with the last two snapshots it took. Michael and Bird still wouldn't agree to help him get it back to the Kaufman house, and he wanted to hold onto it for proof, just in case. He takes the photos out from their hiding place and studies them again, hoping for a sign or a clue, but they hadn't changed. Sherry was still gone, and nothing made sense. He lets out a cry of anguish, and in his frustration, begins tearing up the photos before flinging himself onto his bed, defeated. Two hours later, the phone by his bed rang. It was Sherry. Greg was in shock. Sherry, is that really you? She replied that yes, it was her. She was back. She had been back for about two hours, and her mom hadn't stopped crying. Honestly, Greg felt like he was going to cry. Sherry doesn't remember anything. One minute she at the party, next minute she was gone, and then suddenly at her doorstep. Two days later, Greg starts to tell her that he has to talk to her about the camera and his plan to get it back to the house, but she has to go. The police are on their way to interview her again, and she tells him maybe tomorrow they can talk. She had been back for two hours. Two hours. Could it be that he brought her back when he ripped up the photo? Does this mean that the camera really does cause all of these things to happen? The next day, they meet up at the playground to talk about the camera and to go over the plan. He asked Sherry for help, but she has no time to respond, as the shadowy figure was running toward them at full speed. It was Spidey. It dawned on Gray that this was his snapshot coming true. He and Sherry were at the bleachers, terrified at what was running toward them. He shouted for Sherry to run, but he didn't have to say it. She was already running, but Spidey was (laughs) so fast.
1: Sorry about it!
0: Sherry's gone! (laughs) She doesn't want to be kidnapped by whatever again. His shadow was scuttling toward them and keeping pace. He was going to catch up. They run toward the road and nearly get hit by Greg's neighbor, Jerry Norman. He shouts at Spidey to leave them alone he's gonna call the cops. But Greg and Sherry try to escalate and tell him they're okay, they just wanna get home. He asks for Sherry's help one more time and tells them that all of them are in danger until they get the camera back to Spidey and the Kaufman house. So she finally agrees. A storm was coming making the sky this eerie green color, and they could hear thunder rumbling in the distance. Jerry saw something that was too big to be a squirrel go slithering through the weeds in front of the house, and Greg tries to convince her it was probably a raccoon. As much as they wanted to run inside and get this over with, they had to make sure Spidey wasn't there. They checked the windows at the back of the house to peer into the basement first. And even though all of his trash was still there, he wasn't. This was their chance, and Sherry was doing her best to be brave. She was starting to think Michael and Bird were the smart ones for not coming along. They opened the door and stepped into the hall, but stopped short and jumped at the loud crash behind them. It was just the door. The wind had made the door slam. She was beginning to regret ever having, ever having breaking into this house, but it was a little too late for that, wasn't it? She suggests just leaving the camera and getting out of Dodge, but Greg shouts back at her, no, he was in my room. He went through my things, all because he wanted this camera back. If he can't find it, he'll come for me again. Sherry relents and tells him to just hurry the hell up. The house was groaning and making awful sounds. She swears she heard footsteps, but Greg is telling her it's just the house and keep moving. Just like before, the basement is brighter than the rest of the house, and occasional flashes of lightning would illuminate everything, like a camera flash. Greg walks Sherry to the workbench, and just like before, he gets to the hidden compartment, puts the camera back on the shelf, and suddenly feels so much better. It was over. Sherry was two steps ahead of him as they make their way to the stairs. They were halfway up when Spidey suddenly appears, blocking their path. Greg tried to blink him away, thinking that maybe the light was playing tricks on him, but it wasn't. Spidey was forcing them back down the stairs into the basement. Sherry yelled to him, just let us go. We returned the stupid camera, but he didn't budge. He just kept inching closer and closer to them. A flash of lightning gave them their first good look at his face. He was so much older than they thought, and his eyes were small and dark, and his mouth was pursed in a grimace. They asked again if he'll let them go, but he wants to see that the camera has been returned. He tells them they shouldn't have taken it, and they apologize. He tells them to sit, and he takes the camera out from the hiding spot and studies it with his hands. Spidey tells that the camera is not normal, and they said they know, and the pictures don't come out right. This made his expression change to anger, and he tells that the camera was evil, and he knows because he invented it.
1: Ooh. <laughs> I know, I made it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Greg looks confused. And Spidey goes on to tell them that he was a scientist. And his real name (laughs) is Dr. Fitz
1: Frederick. What Exactly what are you a doctor of? (laughs) I don't know. His
0: partner was the true inventor of the camera. And it was his pride and joy. And it would have made him a fortune. Dr. Frederick pauses on the word would and starts to grin. Sherry asks what happened and if he died. And Dr. Frederick said, no, it was much worse. He had stolen the invention and the plans because he was young, evil, and greedy. He wanted the fame and fortune for himself. This theft caught his partner by surprise. But soon, all the surprises would be on Dr. Frederick. Because of the two, he was even more evil.
1: So evil, in fact. That he dabbled You in guys, the dark we are arts. both super evil. Like, the two of us, were way, way evil. Like, I'm more evil than he is. But, like, <laughs> you know. But, like, the thing you need to know is, like, we're both just really, really evil.
0: <laughs> he was so evil that he dabbled in the dark art and was quite a master. His partner had put a curse on the camera. If he couldn't profit from the invention, he wanted to make sure that Dr. Fredericks couldn't either. He approaches Greg and leans over him and asks if he knew that some primitive people fear the camera because they think it will steal their soul. Well, this camera does steal souls. People have died because of this camera. He goes on and tells them that this is why he knows so much about it and why he hid its evil from the world. In doing so, he lost everything. His fame, his fortune, everything. Once again, Sherry and Greg apologize and try to say that, hey, it was good we returned it so nothing else can happen. And they ask again to be let go. But Dr. Frederick said, no, they know too much and he can't let them leave. He will never let them leave. Sherry and Greg try to assure him that his secret is safe with them. Just let us go because he literally cannot keep them down here forever. Someone will come looking for them. But Dr. Fredericks had worked too hard and too long to keep this secret locked away and he wouldn't let them go. They start to panic and Dr. Fredericks begins to approach them with the camera, holding it steady in one hand, his other hand holding Greg's shoulder and he apologizes. Sherry has to act fast. This is the only chance she has while Dr. Frederick's hands were full. She took a deep breath, lunged forward with a scream, and quickly snatches the camera from Dr. Frederick's as he looks on in horror. She raises the camera, and his eyes balled and desperately cries, please, please, don't press the button. He lunges forward again, and they begin to grapple. And in the scuffle, the camera flashes, which startles them all. And Sherry grabs the camera and they run as fast as they can away from him and toward the stairs. The basement was a whirlwind of grays and blues as they hurtled themselves toward the steps, falling over the cartons thrown about the basement. The wind was howling, rain was pounding the windows, but Dr. Frederick's anguished screams were loud enough to be heard over all of it. It was taking forever to reach the stairs, and Greg asked Sherry if she took a picture of them or of Dr. Fredericks, but she didn't know. They just had to keep running. They turned back to look, and Dr. Fredericks had not followed them, and suddenly the basin was completely silent. His deafening cries had stopped. Greg squinted into the darkness and realized the dark, crumbled form in front of the workbench was Dr. Fredericks. Reluctantly, Greg approaches his body, and Sherry utters a low cry at what they see. His eyes were balled out of his head, and his mouth was twisted into a terrified O shape, like he had been screaming. He was frozen, dead. Dr. Fredericks had died of fright. He knew the power of the camera, and once he had his picture taken, it scared him to death. Waves of guilt started to rush over Sherry. She was just trying to distract him so they could escape. She didn't want to kill anyone. Greg asked to see the picture she took, which was still inside the camera. And it was just as he feared. There was Dr. Fredericks, frozen on the ground, in fear. Sherry asked what they should do now. And Greg says, first things first, is to put the camera back, and then they have to go home and call the police. For being a child, that was a very pragmatic response. Like, we're going to go home and call the police now. Like, (laughs) not like...
1: seriously. Like... I feel like he would have dropped the camera on the ground and like mm-hmm. beat feet. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, which, you know, I don't think that Dr. Fredrickson, the inventor of cursed cameras <laughs> would be very happy about that. I feel, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a very mature response from our friends. Right. Do they follow mm-hmm. through?
0: They do. Two days have passed and all is pretty much back to normal. They didn't tell the cops about the camera just said that they ran into the house to get out of the rainstorm and found the body of Dr. Fredericks. Luckily, they bought it, and nobody will ever know about the awful camera. The gang is riding their bikes, and Michael asked if they knew how Spidey had died. The police declared it heart failure, but Greg and Sherry knew the truth. They all ride past the Kaufman house a little bit faster than normal. The place gave them all the creeps, even more than before. They turn the corner, and as they do, two figures emerge from the basement of the house, Joey Fraser and Mickey Ward. Laughing to themselves and remarking that Greg and Sherry weren't too bright. They didn't even notice that they were being watched from the window, and they could never hide this camera from them, not ever. Mickey demanded that Joey take his picture, He raises the viewfinder and tells him to say tease. There was a click, a flash, and a whirring sound. The boys wait to see what develops. The end. Yay. Oh, I like
1: that one. It was fun. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Sometimes we get, like, kind of stinker ones, but that was a good one. (laughs) And I don't feel like that's one that he's, like, played out very much. Like, I feel...
0: That it felt pretty fresh. There, cool. There is there is a part two to that oh, one. Oh, there is. Okay. Say mm-hmm. cheese and die again.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Again.
0: I remember reading this one. I don't think I read Say cheese and die again, but maybe I did, but it depends when it came out. But,
1: but you do you remember reading you. this one?
0: This one, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. This is one of the evils. Hmm.
1: Very cool. Good. I like that one a lot. Yes. So, a super dude, evil. Fragile. Exactly what? Like, <laughs> 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 honestly, like this, that aspect of it is probably scarier than the camera that has, is evil and like takes people's souls. Um, I want like a calendar of all mm-hmm. the goosebumps evil scientist people. And I want to see like Dr. Fredrickson is January. <laughs> and like, <laughs> February is the guy from um, Haunted Mask who ran in make souls or uh, faces of the unloved for no reason that we never got an explanation for <laughs> and like, like all these like random mad scientists that show up in these small towns and make objects that find their way into the hands of tea like young preteens on bikes it's a long title but i feel like it would be okay like <laughs>
0: we should try we should make this happen
1: Five stars cross the board.
0: Five five stars. Ten, ten, ten across the board.
1: <laughs> and speaking of five stars, <laughs> right now, like oh. I did that. <laughs> we have a contest going on right now in the Facebook group. By the time this drops, there should be a couple of days left of it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I I hope think so so. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really simple. So All you have to do is anywhere you listen, leave us a five-star review. If you've already left one, that's cool. Go to your review and take a screenshot of it with your camera or with your phone, with your camera, not your evil cursed camera. Um, (laughs) I don't want evil cursed pictures. Thank you. And go ahead and post it on the thread there in the Facebook group showing that you left us a five-star review. And we will add your name to the spinny wheel. And at the end of the month... We'll spin the wheel, and the winner, uh, along with probably getting a little treat from us in the mail, will get to request one book for us to cover, totally free of charge, totally not, you don't have to be a patron, it's a freebie, it's a giveaway, all you have to do is leave that five-star review, take your screenshot, post it to the Facebook thread, and we will enter you into that contest to request a book for us to cover.
0: I love it. Hopefully, we get some good reviews because that'd be nice.
1: Yeah. Like one of our homies from Twitter um, already gave us a review. So he's he's already, he's currently, I think, the only one in it because the other five star review I saw on iTunes, nobody has claimed. Oh, no. So I don't know, y'all. Yeah. So if you get a chance, go ahead and do that. Real easy to enter, easy to win.
0: Mm hmm we make it easy.
1: <laughs> so next time,
0: of course, we're back on Fear Street and we're trying to figure the hell out what Holly heard. Guess we are. But
1: until that time, we <laughs> are out
0: like the sun after a four years long winter.
1: Hallelujah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.